6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 15 through 19. Well, let's move to the next one, which is a close cousin, lying. God hates a lying tongue. We went through that in chapter 6. A lying tongue is only covering up the sin that's in the heart. It's evidence of something you normally can't see. Only God knows the thoughts and tents of the heart. But you get a clue when you hear what comes out of the mouth. It's deceit in the heart that makes a statement a lie. What makes it a lie isn't its truth or falsity in an absolute sense. It's the intent of the heart that it manifests. You can, you can lie by telling a fact that happens to be true in a way that is devastating, and vice versa. The Bible tests and reveals the intents of the heart. We hear that from Hebrews 4.12. Only God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you know why that's in the Scripture? To keep the personnel department out of the act. Right? Lies are like cutting swords, but the truth is like a healing machine, the Scripture talks about. What a contrast. Truth is eternal, but lies will be revealed and all liars judged, ultimately. But for many, the damage has been done. Truth will deliver souls, obviously, but lies only lead to bondage and shame. Lies always lead to bondage and shame. And the other thing I wanted to emphasize, liars enjoy... Listening to liars. Be careful with that one. That phenomenon can be a mirror of something you need to understand. Liars enjoy listening to liars. See, the heart controls the ear as well as the lips. We don't think of that very often. But there's a time to turn it off. There's a time to walk away. There's a time not to receive what they're trying to tell you. All liars will be punished, Proverb promises in chapter 19 when we get there. And when they eat their own words, it'll be like gravel, the scripture tells us. Hell is waiting for one who loves and practices a lie. Revelation 21, 15 lists the liars as those that are outside. Well, let's go to the next section. Besides lies, there's another issue of the tongue. That's talking too much. How many of you know anyone, someone around you that talks too much? Anyone? Got a few hands, Okay. Truth will deliver souls, but lies only lead to bondage and shame. Oh, I pushed the, I'm sorry, I pushed the wrong thing here. <clears throat> the fool talks too much and talks his way right into trouble. His mouth becomes a trap, and he himself is snared by his own trap, if you will. We covered that in chapter 6. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. A loose tongue leads to poverty and foolishness. Proverbs 14. Many people would rather talk than work. How many of you know one of those kinds of people? Probably had them as, some, as subcontractors, haven't you? 
A controlled tongue means a safe life. A controlled tongue means it. A person of few words is regarded as a person of knowledge. I love this one. Sometimes you can really stand out in a group by just keeping your mouth shut. Because when you don't say anything, they assume you know. Don't open your mouth and reveal you don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll see a very humorous example of that before we get through here tonight. Okay, talking too much is one part. Talking too soon is listed. Even in the New Testament, James says, Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. I haven't got the slow to speak down yet. I'm working on it. Proverbs says, Restrain the lips until you really have something to say. It's an, it, it fascinates me to see some of these people that are always talking, the motor mouths among our kids, how little content there is, or certainly little relevance. It's not a case where they've just got so much to really say. It's, it's well, you know, I don't have to fill in the blanks. A godly person will study to answer, but a fool will open his mouth and pour out foolishness. Keep it a secret, I guess, huh? And one of the prayers you find in the Psalm, Psalm 141.3, and also echoed in Psalm 39.1, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. How often... When you go into a situation, you do well to send a quick telegram before you arrive. Lord, watch my mouth for me. Keep the door of my lips. Let the words that I speak be of your choosing that will honor you. How, how precious a commitment that is. Very often, now sometimes you can be confronted by surprise, and that in itself is an indicator to go slow. But others, often you have a, you, you can sense a confrontation of some kind coming. One way to prepare for it is do it in prayer. Even, to, even take, a, take a, a, a quiet break somewhere and pray. If you can't, just do it under your breath before you're confronted. God wants us to search out each matter carefully and then give fair judgment. Some, uh, Proverbs 25, 2. We're going, to hear, we're going to hit this in several ways as we go through our Proverbs here. See, we're not to agree with the first cause that we hear, but to seek and understand both sides of a matter. Even where dedicated Christians are involved, there are still two sides to the story. There are some major confrontations going on in some ministries that... Are, that uh, I, I know a lot about, in which it's tragic. Both sides are seriously committed to Christ. And yet when you get into the facts, it's not a one-sided thing. Each side is convinced the other side is really wrong and unspiritual with, with good reason. And yet when you get into it, there's no high ground. Both sides are wrong. And both sides are blinded to the fact they're wrong. But... Clearly, we're not to agree with the first. You know, there, there are a number of people you probably have met in organizations where the decision will be made depending on who is the last person to talk to them, rather than a, a careful weighing the, fa the, the facts. You know, Potiphar did not listen to Joseph's side of the story, and he committed a great crime because of it in Genesis 39. David 
jump to conclusions about innocent Mephibosheth in the 2 Samuel 16, as we find out in 2 Samuel 19, the, the, the David jumped to a conclusion from a servant's remark without checking the truth of the matter. It was just backwards, just upside down. He, 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 Feth was unjustly injured by David jumping to a conclusion. Well, let's shift to another gear. Flattery. Flattery is insincere praise given by one who has selfish motives. You may be entitled to the praise, but what becomes flattery if it's insincere and has, it's being offered with a motive. It's a dangerous net spread before an innocent man's feet. Why is it dangerous? Well, see, a flattering mouth works ruin, the scripture tells us. Later on in the Psalms, we'll find out that the flatterer's mouth, there's an x-ray described. <laughs> of the flatterer's mouth. It's described as what? An open sepulcher. There's a graphic analogy. We are warned not to meddle with people given to flattery. When someone's flattering you, you understand there's a hypocrisy involved. There's also a hidden agenda involved. And you also have someone that the scripture advises you not to meddle with. That's difficult. Um... There are many people that are in very, very... You know, I spent probably 30 years of my executive career in the, in the corporate boardrooms. It's interesting how the chief executive officers of modern corporations tend to be somewhat insular people. And once you've been around them, you understand why they need to be. Because everybody they meet is either a customer, a vendor, a creditor, a debtor, or an investor. They all have their agendas. And it's difficult to often to filter out what's really going on. And you'll discover that they may be very outgoing people. Very so most CEOs are, are socially uh, sophisticated, but very guarded. Because you can never, uh, uh, you never know what the real agendas are that you're be, uh, being confronted with. Satan used a form of flattery to tempt Eve. You will be like God, he promised. Genesis 3. The evil woman... In, uh, earlier in Proverbs, used flattery to tempt the young man in chapters 5, 7, and so forth. The rich have many friends, <laughs> mainly because they want to flatter him and get something out of him. It's interesting how people with wealth, if you've just won the lottery, boy, the one thing you'd love to do is keep it a secret. <laughs> Honest rebuke is better than flattery, the scripture says. There is... A, a place for honesty, honest appraisals. But honest rebuke is even better than flattery. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And Judas is probably the classic example. There are others. Now, the honest praise in the Christian life is called for in 1 Thessalonians 5. I encourage you to put it in your notes and check it out. Honest praise is like a refiner's furnace, Proverbs tells us. Some Christians are still so carnal that they cannot take praise because it goes to their heads. There are, there are Christians that if you praise, you, run, you put them in a position of risk because pride goes go for a fall. It can be even worse. It can reveal envy. They cannot stand to see another praised. We need to recognize that, that uh, honest praise is a test. It's like a refiner's fire. It'll reveal where our hearts really are. Well, 
last one of these group that I've singled out here is quarreling. Anger, of course, is, has a place. There is such a thing as righteous anger. We find that in Ephesians 4.26. Unrighteous angers, displays of temper, of course, are <laughs> to be discouraged in Proverbs 29 and a lot of other places. See, an angry person keeps adding fuel to a fire. There's obviously a contention. Anger does not bring out a healing. We're going to just, the very first verse of the verses we're going to get into shortly nails that. And the best way to stop an argument is with soft words. And we saw a great example of that with um, Abigail, Nabal's wife, in the example we looked at in 1 Samuel 25. In fact, stop an argument is with soft words, which is the best way to break the bones, according to Proverbs 25. And being able to control one's temper is pretty much the same as ruling an army or an empire. Be cool. Chill out. Take your time. Control your temper. Well, we talk about the right use of words, words that help and encourage. You can take a whole bunch of Proverbs that you'll discover and they're distributed all through. Words that express wisdom, obviously scattered all through the Scripture. I've singled these out here for your own study. Words that are few. Words that are fitting. Words that are true and words that are carefully chosen. These are all rightful use of words. And it's interesting to realize how distributed throughout the whole book of Proverbs are expressions that in many, in many reflects duplicate, amplify, put into juxtaposition, uh, uh, and so forth. These, very, these basic thoughts. To help and encourage, express wisdom, choose them carefully, that are fitting, true, and so on. The wrong use of words is also all through the book. We obviously talked about lying. Here's another handful. Slandering. Gossiping. Gossiping does not have to be untrue to be hurtful. It can be true and still hurtful and, and incredibly injurious. Constant talking. It fascinated me to realize this is a malady that's spelled out all through the book. Constant talking. False witnessing. No surprise. So it's a commandment. Mocking. It's interesting to realize how all through the Scripture there are mocking examples. Those that are going to be taking this as a course, I'm going to suggest what they do, the students do, is make a list of any ten categories. Pick the ten categories you want and then go through the book of Proverbs and categorize them. It's interesting how they, they, they dovetail. Harsh talking, meaning evil, sly words, all through the Scripture. Boasting. That's no surprise. That's a form of pride, right? Quarreling. Again, no surprise. Contention. Where there's contention, there's pride, the Scripture tells us. Deceiving. Again, that shouldn't surprise us. Flattering, we've just talked about. Ignorant or foolish words. So that one of the things as we go through, I'm going to show you at the end one approach to dealing with this variety of topics that confronts us here. See, it's not like we have chapter 15 on subject X and chapter 16 on subject Y. There's, a, there's just a whole smorgasbord of, of, uh, to, to, you know, of opportunities to choose from. Let's take a look. Let's just jump into the chapters of the night. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Boy, that's a dandy. And that really summarizes. Each one of these, it's a useful exercise to pick an example from the Scripture of that, and of course, Nabal and Abigail, that some people might call the beauty and the beast, um, 
where Nabal denied common courtesies to David. Abigail, sensing the situation, quickly rounded up food, went there and, 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 uh, and, and uh, repaired the situation with a soft answer, answer. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. That speaks for itself. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding evil and the good. You know, it's interesting. So many people are concerned. You know, if, if place, there are some places where there's cameras everywhere. Uh, in fact, one of the, in, in, in England, you've got them on all the public places. No matter where you are in London, they have, you're, 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 you're on video footage. And when they had the, the terrorist thing, they rounded them up in a few days because they were able to track them down through that. So you can understand the utility of that. And many, there are many people that are concerned about privacy that are very concerned about that. And there are two sides to that issue. But it's interesting. We need to realize the cameras are on us continually. The, the, uh, the cameras are the most important observer possible. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. I'm always reminded of the, the little uh, grandchild that asked Grandpa, does God see me when I'm alone? Feeling very insecure by that. And the grandfather said, uh, he loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. Great answer. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. An unwholesome tongue is a breach in the spirit. That's an interesting thing to reflect on. A fool despises father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. The fool despises instruction, even from his father. That's what really characterizes him as a fool. He's not listening to criticism. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. If you ever, uh, whether it's in sports or in business, if you look at the winners, they're always critiquing themselves, always looking for ways to improve, always trying to understand what they're doing wrong, why they might improve. They're open and, in fact, hungry for competent criticism. He that regardeth reproof is prudent. Moving on, in the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. The treasures here, of course, are, uh, con does not consist of things uh, like uh, material things, but rather things of the Spirit. Joy, peace, love, sympathy, comfort. These are wonderful treasures. And they're the great treasures of life. They're the most important things in life. The contrast here is the revenues of the wicked, which are simply trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. Self-evident. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know, it's interesting, the sacrifice of the wicked. The wicked can't provide a sacrifice that the Lord will see. He can't do it, no matter what he does. The sacrifice, the best example is Cain. Cain did not fail because he happened to be a farmer and gave of the fruit of the ground. He, he failed because he didn't provide the specifications God, God had indicated in chapter 3 that by the shedding of innocent blood they'd be covered. The lamb... Uh, probably both Cain and Abel both had sheep and both had farmers. One was primarily a farmer, one was primarily a shepherd. But that's, everybody misses the point of why Cain's offering was rejected. The sacrifice of the wicked, and God says, if, if you've got a problem, sin lies at the door. He was providing a gift from the cursed ground rather than the shed blood that's pointed to the redemption of Christ. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament were intended to point to the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. 
The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because he's a wicked. There's nothing he can contribute. We need to understand that. You don't get there by keeping the law. The law is there to show us our need, not to solve our problem. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. God loves to hear from you if you're his. That's his joy. It's astonishing to me that we have the capacity to bring joy to the ruler of the universe. That's a wild idea. Prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he that loveth him that but he loveth him that followeth after his righteousness, echoing the previous one. Correction is grievous, grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. And uh, boy, boy, boy. The uh, it's interesting to me that. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. That's a strange phrase, the way, because it's very common throughout the Scripture. But it's interesting, if you look carefully in the book of Acts, that was the, the, the term they used to describe their Christianity. Now, if you look in Acts 24 and other places, that so-and-so knew the way, meaning he understood the, day, the path of redemption. It's what we would today call a biblical believer. They called themselves the way. They weren't called Christians until later. That was really a pagan label for them. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? <laughs> if hell and destruction are before the Lord, how much more than the hearts of the children of men? A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. That's why he's a scorner. He knows it all. We've been through that. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart is the spirit broken. You know, that's... Um, boy, boy. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, no problem there. But sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. And how important it is for us to have a broken spirit. To have a serious sorrow for our condition. A serious sorrow for our sin. Until you really come to that, Everything else tends to be academic. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. <laughs> I suppose you can identify a fool by his diet. Hmm? All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath continual feast. Indeed. Your own... Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. What's a good example of that is Daniel chapter 1. Transported, taken hostage as a teenager, forced to live in a pagan court. But, he, but better is just a diet of pulse, as they called it there, uh, is than, than, uh, with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure and trouble therewith. He knew... He, he, he drew his line in the sand and stuck with it, and God really blessed him. Not only by rising to power in that empire, but the empire that succeeded that empire, the Persian Empire, he rose to power the same way there. Fascinating career, probably one of the most fascinating careers in, in human history. Daniel's career, going from a captive to prime minister of the world under Babylon, and doing the same thing, in effect, with a subsequent Persian Empire. Better a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Boy, oh boy, says echoes the same thing again in respect. 
A watchful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. Echoing the first verse that we had in chapter 15. The way of a slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. And uh, that's, <laughs> the way of a slothful man is as a hedge of thorns. You're not going to get anywhere because of a slothfulness. A wise son maketh a glad father indeed, but a foolish man despises his mother. It's, a, it's both the trophy and all the, also the tragedy of the parents as uh, how the children respond. And uh, a wise son maketh a glad father indeed. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, <laughs> but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. There is a very, very often quoted verse important. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. We'll find repeated allusions to this, especially in terms of warfare. You don't go to war without good counsel, assessing your strengths and assessing your, your, the, the likelihoods of, of the outcomes whether it's in business or military or what have you. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, we need a plurality of opinions. One of the great discoveries during World War II is the value of what they call interdisciplinary groups. The necessity of the drafts and other demands on, on talent during the World War II in Great Britain, they ended up out of necessity pulling together study teams of mixed, mixed backgrounds an engineer, a mathematician, a, a psychologist, and a sociologist, a couple of different backgrounds. And they, in some of these things, they began to discover the power of an interdisciplinary group. Because no matter what discipline you come from, you have a pattern of thinking. You have a, a, a set of uh, uh, approach of handling data. And having a mixed group turns out to be very powerful and generally results in far more creative alternatives. And that led to what ultimately was called operations research or system analysis and has been codified in professional terms in the modern days. But it really had its birth in the Second World War. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.